Hello and welcome to the Crime Time FM review show for July. I'm Paul Burke and I write about crime fiction. I don't know about you, but it hardly seems a month since the last show. But I suppose that's what happens when you always have your head in a good book. As ever, this month's bumper selection will straddle the genre and through time and across continents. Featuring a couple of the summer blockbusters, but also a couple of indie titles. Plenty to think about anyway, I hope. So let's kick off with a contemporary psychological thriller from bestseller Lisa Jewell. None of this is true is available in hardback from Century. Podcaster Alex Summers is celebrating her 45th birthday with family at a London restaurant. Turns out at a neighbouring table, Josie is also celebrating her 45th. They're strangers, but they're birthday twins. They chat on the night and thereafter bump into each other. Josie begins to tell Alex about the troubles in her life and Alex thinks this is a powerful story and it'd be ideal for her podcast. A tale full of toxic relationships, abuse and control. By the time Alex gets round to interviewing the people in Josie's life who know her best, they have very different accounts of the past. But of course by now, Josie has inveigled her way into Alex's life. As you would expect from Jewel, this is a clever, twisty plot, rich in suspense and tension, loaded with a sense of foreboding. Wickedly creepy, if you like. You'd certainly rather know Josie on the page than meet her in real life. I'm certain Jewel fans will love this. So, sticking with the psychological thriller, but shifting to Bali, at least initially anyway, we have The Honeymoon by Kate Gray. This novel treads on what has become familiar turf, the idyllic holiday that takes a tragic turn throwing a happy relationship off course. And sure enough, the matrimonial bliss of couple Erin and Jamie is soon shattered. A night out ends with an outdoor tryst that leads to the death of a man who witnesses the passionate scene from the shadows. Holiday over, Jamie seems to act like nothing has happened. While Erin is struggling to come to terms with what happened and not telling the police. The question is, was the death an accident, an aberration, a moment's tragedy? Or is there something more going on than meets the eye? Expect surprises and twists. So as I said, the idea of newlyweds on an exotic island falling into a nightmare has become a popular playground for writers but Grey stamps enough personality and originality on it to make this a gripping read. After a steady start, it really begins to motor, and the two central female characters, Erin and Sophie, are intriguing creations. An atmospheric domestic noir of secrets, lies and imminent danger. A really good beach read. Published in hardback by Welbeck. And as is the way of this show, I sometimes ask authors to tell us about their own books. So Jenny Blackhurst is going to talk about The Summer Girl. Hi, this is Jenny Blackhurst, author of psychological thrillers The Girl Who Left, The Hiking Trip, and number one bestseller How I Lost You. My latest novel, The Summer Girl, published by Canelo, is out now. The Summer Girl tells the story of Holly, a young British girl who disappears on the millionaire's playground, Martha's Vineyard, and her older sister Claire, who's determined to find her. With the police reluctant to accept that Holly is even missing and everyone closing ranks around one of the island's richest families, Claire quickly comes to realise that she is on her own. That is, until she discovers that another girl was killed on the island five years ago and someone hasn't forgotten her. For fans of Lucy Clark, Heidi Perks and Claire Douglas, you can order your copy of The Summer Girl online and in bookstores now.
Thank you, Jenny. Another top beach read comes from newly minted international thriller writer G.W. Shaw, better known as William Shaw, purveyor of two excellent police series, Breen and Toza and Alex Cupidy. The Conspirators illustrates that Shaw can deftly turn his hand to the new subgenre. Jacob Meany is a translator of Hindi, Russian and English, a rare enough combination. Even so, when a mysterious Eloise turns up and offers Jacob enough money to cover a deposit on a new flat and rekindle his relationship with his disillusioned girlfriend, he should know better. Eloise whisks him away to the Austrian Alps, the mountain lair of Ukrainian pharmaceutical entrepreneur Bondarenko, where Jacob winds up translating telephone calls between Bondarenko and his Indian supplier. Those calls become increasingly threatening. Bondarenko's original contact in India has vanished. Nazimus replaced him, but he wants to take over Bondarenko's business, not cooperate on supplying a groundbreaking fertility drug. That, of course, is going to get nasty. But there are other parties hovering in the background too. And there's a story of people trafficking. Jacob becomes a pawn stuck in the middle of it all. Can he survive the coming storm? This is a pacey, well-crafted story, published in hardback by Quirkus. And now I'm going to admit my complete ignorance here. As we head across the Atlantic for the latest from Kathy Reich's in the Temperance Brennan series, this one's called The Bone Hacker. This is my first outing with The Bone Lady. I've always been put off by that treacly TV show in which we are constantly being told by other people that Temperance is a genius which is helpful because it's not self-evident on the screen. Still, you didn't come from my diatribe on the inadequacies of TV shows. So back to the novel. Temperance, out of Quebec, is a board-certified forensic anthropologist. She's called in to look at the remains of a young man assumed to be the victim of a lightning strike. A tattoo connects the victim to a gang in the Turks and Caicos Islands. And that involves Temperance in helping with a series of baffling murders of young men all tourists, none with any apparent connection, but all murdered on the small archipelago. Something much wider than a local gang war is going on here. I have to admit to being very pleasantly surprised, this is very well written, I did expect that. But it's also intriguing and pacey, and now I understand the appeal of the books. I can certainly see myself revisiting Dr. Temperance Brennan in print, published by Simon & Schuster in hardback. Robert Goddard is the master of intricate international thrillers, and the fine art of uncanny prediction sees the return of likeable Tokyo P.I. Umiko Wada. Those of you who read the first novel will be aware of the suspicious death of her boss, Kodaka, which is now three years ago, that led to Wada, his assistant, taking over the business while she was in London. Wada is reserved, inquisitive and clever, and when she picks up a seemingly simple case of a missing person, she winds up in the middle of a conspiracy that began in the chaos of Tokyo, at the back end of World War II. As Wada hunts for the son of a businessman that leads her to California and 80 years back into the past, we also learn more about Kodaka and his demise. Goddard always manages to create fascinating characters, and Wada is certainly one you love to spend time with. He straddles timelines expertly, and always comes up with a truly engaging mystery. Published by Bantam in hardback. To Paris, for The Stranger in the Seine, by Guillaume Musso. Translated from the French by Rosier. There's always a fear when you start a high-concept thriller that the author isn't able to come up with a truly satisfying reveal or denouement. 
You have to suspend disbelief as you read. The enjoyment of the novel is very much about the journey that the writer takes you on, how involved you can become in the strangeness of the story. And I have to say I was soon deeply involved in Musso's story. A young woman is pulled naked from the same, except for a watch and a bracelet, with no memory of how she got there, and then she disappears. DNA testing identifies the amnesiac as a famous pianist, Milena Bergman. But Milena died in a plane crash off Madeira more than a year ago with 177 other people. Enter police commander Roxanne Montchrétien, new superintendent of the Bureau of Unconventional Affairs. Staff total? One. Roxanne tracks down Milena's boyfriend, and soon the two are embroiled in a puzzling mystery with myriads of moving parts. This is both intriguing and gripping. Slightly surreal, which is often the case with good French crime fiction. The ending works, but far more important is the game. And I really enjoyed spending time with Roxanne. Published by Weidenfeld and Nicholson in hardback. A little pulp infusion now. The Ice Cream Man by Big Boy Pete, a.k.a. Peter Miller. Older musically informed listeners might be familiar with Big Boy Pete. The long-serving musician was with the Beatles and the Stones, and in at the dawn of the psychedelic movement in the 60s. And there's plenty of clips online if you want to check that out. But to his novel, a new paperback from Starkhouse Press set in Thailand in 1969. This is a time and part of the world that the author was very familiar with as a touring artist during the Vietnam War. The premise of the novel got me, and Miller's original writing hooked me quickly. Fifty years in America, but still with a distinct English flavour to the tone of the book. Max and Jade run an ice cream shop in the small town of Trang, but that can't account for their wealth and lifestyle. It's more about the large garden behind the house, and the crop therein. Jade has never settled. The housekeeper who's been with them for many years has kept things ticking. Her daughter Carla is 17, struggling to have any kind of relationship with her war-damaged father. She's attracted to Max and his enterprise. As she gets closer to Max, it seems he's willing to share the details of his business with her. Then there's Eddie, the tour manager come rogue CIA operative who has his eye on Carla and Max and his operation. Meanwhile, the war in Vietnam rages. Miller's feel for Southeast Asia gives this novel an authenticity, and you get a sense of the confusion of the time, the strangeness of the place, and the attraction for foreigners. It's a simple story well told, quick to read, and a lot of fun. The Murder of Anton Livius by Hans-Jörg Schneider, translated by Astrid Fröhler. This is the third in the Inspector Honkalar series to appear in English, published by Bitter Lemon Press in paperback. These Basel-set mysteries, part of a larger series published in Swiss-German, are a cracking slice of Euro-noir, dark, witty, and with a detective who can hold his own in the company of Beck or Valanda. Swiss crime fiction is thin on the ground, Dornmat, Glauser, but actually Switzerland, and Basel in particular, is perfect for noir, a cosmopolitan border town. So it's great that we have Schneider now, and Hunkela. The man who's seen it all is worn down by life, but still manages that spark of independence and resilience that make him a great detective. And a little bit of rebel and disobedience is necessary as this case straddles the border into Alsace in France. So let's try a slightly different pronunciation. A gruesome killing on an allotment ends Inspector Hunkela's holiday. An old man has been shot and left hanging from a meat hook in a shed. The investigation takes the detective across Switzerland and into some dark secrets in France that go back to the war. Gritty and witty, occasionally with a surreal edge. I hope we continue to get more translations of Schneider's work, and this is a fine addition to a really enjoyable series. And finally, 
Dead Man Driving by Leslie Kelly, the latest in the Health of Strangers thriller series. This is book five set in Edinburgh, featuring a global flu pandemic. that first came out just before Covid struck. Maybe that gives us all a little deeper insight into the backdrop of these stories. But this is an engaging series regardless. Kelly has pinpointed issues in society that are ripe for a dark thriller series. That reflect on modern life, poverty, health, drugs, all relevant issues. There's a strong dose of gallows humour and observations on life's absurdity that contrast very well with the serious nature of the subject. The health enforcement team are a frontline community team, and this is a couple of years into the devastating pandemic. There are riots and food shortages, and the boss is sending the team in, effectively policing and peacekeeping, way beyond their remit. The team are drawn into a government cover-up and the investigation of a terrorist cell, and all the while they have an insider working against them. A body turns up in a stolen consignment of food intended for a political function. The mystery is gripping and the characters are compelling. The office politics, the tension of working on the front line and knowing you're not necessarily respected or trusted, are brilliantly conveyed. An original and thought-provoking series, and one that certainly gives Tartan Noir a good name. Published in paperback by Sandstone Press. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this show and that maybe there's an idea or two here for a book you might like. All the information is available on the program notes. I'll be back with another review show next month and in the meantime, of course, there'll be interviews. If you've enjoyed the show, please rate and subscribe with your favourite podcast provider. But for now, bye and thank you very much for listening.